Here's Johnny's reviews and my look at the little known, unwanted, and almost forgotten horror movie, well, sci-fi movie anyway, S. Darko, the sequel to the 2001 Donnie Darko, the cult, mind-bending, time-travel sci-fi movie, what I never got, was why this movie was even made. Now, I know I said last podcast that Donnie Darko is one of the best movies of the noughties, but... It made no money in cinema and became an icon of cult movies, making only one million dollars. So why, eight years later, did they make this sequel that nobody apparently wanted? I never saw this in the cinema back in 2009. In fact, I never even knew they made a sequel. Until one day I was wandering around my local HMV and I found this for three pounds. So I thought, why not? As I was a huge fan of Donnie Darko. Unfortunately... This movie reeks of a cheap knockoff sequel and I didn't care for it one little bit. So, why am I doing this? Well, I believe in giving movies a second chance. Maybe that one time I watched it, I wasn't in the right mood to view it. So here it is, it's second chance. The movie is a definition of a bad sequel. First, say it's not a sequel but a quote-unquote continuation and then have at least one original actor coming back in a role reprising reprising his or her role cut the budget uh, replay the first movie almost beat by beat have a quote-unquote fan of the original write produce or direct this thing and finally switch the gender of the lead role hmm which this movie had done all of which so with that it's on with the show starring Devig Chase Brianna Evid I think that's how you pronounce that, Even Gin. I have no idea how to pronounce her name. Ed Westwick, James Lafferty, and Jackson Rathbone. The plot, years after events of Donnie Darko, his little sister and wild child friend are driving to Los Angeles to make their fame and fortune. Their car breaks down in a small desert town where they're stuck in a glitch in a time-space continuum. Okay then. So the movie opens up as... In text, as we learn, the government covered up the events of Donnie Darko. Also, we found out the Darko family has fell apart. So, youngest sister, Samantha Darko, played again by Devig Chase, has run away from home as she isn't able to cope with the loss nor have a dream since 1988, which I'm calling bullshit on straight away. So, the movie opens up on a panning shot of a desert at dawn, then slowly pans to Samantha Darko, rather, Darko. Samantha Darko waking up unsure where she is. It then pans to a motel and finally to Sam's car, where her wild child friend is asleep. Corey, played by Brianna Evingen, Evingen, whatever, of Step It Up fame, is awoken by Sam as she bangs on the car window. She opens her pillbox to find they only have two pills left, which I'm guessing aren't Thanks, folks. Oh yes, and I should mention, much like Donnie, Samantha now sleepwalks and has lucid dreams. So as they drive on in montage, we see them rocking out in their car and generally goofing around until their car breaks down. We also find out this is 1995 from the car's tax disc. That Sam and her friend are deep in a 60s revival of the 90s as the two are dressed like flower children. Going to find help, Sam notices a soldier climbing a wind tower. We later find out his name is Araki Jack, played by James Lafferty of One Tree Hill fame. 
Wow, they're really going to go for this teen drama money, aren't they? Hmm. However, instead of getting help, she stares into a lake, then lies middle of road until Randy, played by Ed Westbeck. They are really going to go for this CW money, aren't they? Pulls up in his Corvette and offers to help them. So with that, he drives him to town, where we meet local garage owner and scrap metal owner Frank, played by Walter Platts. Saturday calling him Frank. Good call, movie. Good call. As he charges them an arm and a leg for parts, so Randy offers to help them, which they openly mock. Goddamn teens. Angry for little bitches. No wonder these things mutated into whiny little millennials. Oh dear. Going to the local motel, they book a room for a few days from motel owner Phil, played by John Hawks, who asks if they're in town for a Star Trek convention. Which I never knew what Salt Lake City had a Star Trek convention, but hey ho. And spot the missing child posters all over the motel wall. In fact, all around the bloody town. Later that night, we found it is June 29th, 1995, at 3.33am. Sam awakens from her sleep and pulls a peacock feather from her TV, which is glowing blue. Then flashes a dead vision of herself with a wound to her head as she flashes in front of a racket jack in a lightning flash as she tells him, are you ready to die? A meteor is hurtling towards Earth. She tells him four days, 17 hours, 26 minutes, 31 seconds before the end. As she has the same force field as Frank had in the original around her. Note the dress Sam is wearing is from designer Elsie Katz, costing over $4,000. The two touch hands and a wormhole appears, which they both jump into as the meteor strikes the tower. The next day, a cop, Officer Odell, played by Brett Roberts, awakens Sam from her sleep on a park bench, drives her back to the motel and warns her off a racket jack, and I'm getting Deputy Dewey off him quite a lot. It then cuts to the meteor site, as we see a man dressed in a hazmat suit taking away the meteor chunk. We find out the girls are stuck in town for days, so Randy makes them to a 4th of July party. And this time it's not Halloween, folks, but it's a 4th of July party. But it's still another holiday. Come on, movie, could you come up with something original here? Hmm? At the local diner, we meet a Bible basher, religious nut Trudy, played by showgirlsies Elizabeth Berkeley, as she prays over a missing child poster. In walks local geek Jeremy, played by Jackson Rathbone of Twilight fame. Wow, they really wanted to go after the teen girl daughter, didn't they? Hmm. As he tries to hit on the girls, he says he bought the meteorite for $600. Of course, Corey, the snarky little bitch, shoots him down, saying isn't Jeremy a gay name? So, moving on then. Corey wants to stiff the diner, however, after meeting the waitress... Sam pays the bill with her final $20. So they're now stuck in a small desert town outside of Salt Lake City. And they have no way to get back to either Los Angeles nor Virginia. So well done her. Anyway, moving on. Wandering through a graveyard, we hear Cody's backstory that her mom was a complete whore and her dad owns a strip joint in Los Angeles where they're heading. Also, she's running away from home just like Sam. Leaving the graveyard, they bump into Pastor John, played by Matthew Davis of Vampire Diaries fame. Again, they really wanted this teen girl money, didn't they? As he invites him to Bible study, which of course Corey shoots down with a snarky remark. 
Also questioning what it's like not to have sex ever again. What a fucking little brat she is. Note that the creepy Jesus statue costs well over $4,000 to make, which director now owns. Cut to Iraqi Jack rifling through the scrap at Frank's scrapyard, mussing to himself 4 days, 17 hours, 26 minutes and 31 seconds and counting down. Randy catches him and question, questions him why he's there with him, saying he's killed children and a blame bloods, guts and everything's all splattered over the place. Classic PTSD signs then. Randy asks why he has a slingshot and cameos on with Jack saying to fight back with and so they cannot see him. However, he never actually fires this slingshot and is never brought up ever again. Cut to that night at the 4th of July party. But wait, I thought this was the 29th of June, not the 4th of July, but moving on. As we see, Sam is disgusted by the dumb dumb jocks sniffing glue from paper bags and the shit tons of underage drinking. In walks Jeremy, who immediately gets picked on by the stoners. Sam comes to his rescue, so he gives her back her $20 from lunch and hits on her. However, Randy cock-blocks him, saying she should look after her friend, as surprise, surprise, Cory is acting like a little brat yet again, smoking a joint and teasing all the boys at the party. She then tells Sam not to be so annoying and piss off. After she asks if everything is okay with her, what a complete and utter little fucking bitch she is. Just then, Randy's girlfriend pushes Sam into the pool just for talking to him, when clearly the slut is Cory, not Sam, as she's the one hitting on him continually throughout the bloody movie. So Sam just floats there, face down, wishing for death, I think, until she finally comes out of the water, just like that. So it's completely bloody pointless, her floating for five minutes underwater. Or a few minutes even underwater. In the house, we find out Randy's little brother is one of the ones that have disappeared, and I'm guessing this is all down to Pastor John. In his little brother's room, we get Randy's backstory that his father is rich with his mother, which his mother then ran off after his little brother went missing and he now feels all alone. We also get a quick backstory from Sam that her older sister married into a rich family and they never talk anymore. Also, the family fell apart and she's running off to LA to become a quote-unquote dancer at her friend's father's strip joint. How very showgirls over. Outside, Sam sees another peacock feather floating in the wind, which lands at her feet with a thud, cracking the paving stones at her feet. Okay then, just what the hell are these bloody feathers made of? Later at night, dead Sam, or dream Sam, as the director's commentary says, stands in the middle of the road as Iraqi Jack watches on as a truck comes out of nowhere and barely misses her. As Iraqi Jack comes closer to her, a wormhole or as this movie calls it, Destiny Spear, comes from his chest leading him to the local church, which he burns down at Dream Sam's command. And what the fuck is happening here? Because we're now 23 minutes in, and it's already went into bug nuts crazy territory. Get in. The next day, the 1st of July, 1995, Sam is awakened from her sleep, lying in the middle of the room floor for some unknown reason, by a local Mattel manager, saying they're two days behind, I need to pay up. But wait... If this is the twin, oh whatever, moving on. This is a fucking mess of a movie, the plot goes fucking nowhere, so why does the right make any bloody sense? He also says he's jealous of them doing a cross-country trip, a la Thelma and Louise, even though she's about 17 in this bloody movie, so hey, moving on. Cut to the burned-down church as Pastor John tells Officer Odell 
forces of evil burnt down the church as the brickwork has melted and so has the iron crosses. So what the fuck did Racky Jack use to burn down the bloody church then? Napalm? However, Odell finds Racky Jack's dog tags in the ashes and we find that his name is Justin Sparrow. Gee, I wonder if he's related to Roberta. Cut to the local bank as Sam questions a tearful Trudy why she's crying with her saying the church has burned down as she was told by Jesus Christ himself. So when Sam asks what he looks like, Trudy answers, he's big, he's strong, he has a tan, muscles, who has lightning shooting from his eyes. So the guy's Thor then. Hmm. She also says that she needs to get to the children before they are spoiled. Oh yes, her and Pastor John have definitely done all these kidnapping of the children. After a pointless scene between Sam and Jeremy, where he creepily hits on her yet again, as she walks away, we see Jeremy's arm is now infected by something from the meteor. A very Stephen King from Creepshow. Cut to a random shots of the townfolk doing everyday things. Also, a Racky Jack building a helmet slash mask of a bunny. Cut to Sam, walking along the highway alone, as Randy pulls up with Corey again being a little brat bitch. To Sam, mocking her over suicide attempt. Walking away, Sam is over and killed by Randy's car, as it is indeed sideswiped by another car which comes out of fresh air. Okay then. At the police station, Odell wants to nail Sam's death to Randy, however, Corey points out the fact that the car came out of fresh air. But Odell doesn't listen and just says strange shit happens in this town. Okay, that's Eddie in Indiana then. <laughs> Moving on. Back in the motel room, going through Sam's things, she finds the book Roberta Sparrow wrote. Also the poem Sam wrote about the unicorn from the original movie, which she reads out to herself. And we find out what Sam has dreamed about Justin. Uh, he is the prince that's going to save her from her wild, wicked life. Mm -hmm. The next day, the 2nd of July 1985, Corey is awoken up Again at 3.33am by a disembodied voice of a missing kid, Billy, played by Brigger L. Baki, I apologise if that's not say, pronounced right, with him saying, Sam is dead but can be found again. Later that morning at a local grocery store, which Randy works in, somehow even though his father's supposed to be stinking rich, we see Randy pouring iodine onto his cut hands. Yeah, he was T-boned by a speeding car and all he gets out of it was a small cut on his hand. Utter bullshit. Also, while I'm at it, Corey was sitting in the passenger seat and she has no wounds at all. Hmm, this is a Corvette, which I'm thinking is made of plastic and or fiberglass. Therefore, that car would have been totaled and it would have been fucking heavily injured, if not dead. But moving on, Corey shows up, so they go outside for a smoke, where she asks him if he believes in ghosts, also if they were bad people. Another wasted fucking space time. And yet another pointless scene, Randy and Corey are talking about acid trips as they cycle to a li library, where on microfilm, Corey looks up Donnie's death, with Randy getting pissed off when Sam didn't tell him that Donnie Darko was her brother, or her indeed her backstory, and why would she? Because she just met the guy the previous day, so when the hell she into the deep dark stuff? But moving on. The next day, the 3rd of July 1995, Corey is awakened again from her sleep by Billy, as she follows her destiny spear slash wormhole, she's told to bring water. The spear leads her to an old, unused mine, where Billy tells her to go inside. However, she snaps the spear of her hand and refuses. It fixes itself and pulls her an enemy. The mine leads to much earlier in the week, when Frank's tow truck pulls a car only for it to come loose and get sucked up into the sky by a portal. 
Okay, what the fuck? Then time rewinds. Right, what the actual fuck is going on here? So just before Sam gets killed, where Cory tells her the truth that her dad doesn't even know she exists, so she, Sam, should do something special with her life. As she drives off to be killed by the car that comes out of nowhere. At the motel room, Sam stares into a mirror and sees a wormhole starting to appear, but walks off before it fully forms. Looking in her suitcase, she finds the book Grandma Death wrote, trashes the motel room as Iraqi Jack watches on in a bunny mask. She opens the cupboard door and she's teleported to Iraqi Jack's hiding place, somehow, wearing the same peacock dress from earlier as he looks at her wearing the bunny mask. Wait, no, that's not... That's Dream Sam. What the fuck, movie? What the actual fuck? Cut to the 2nd of July, 1995 again. Sam wakes up at the underpass, then walks into town where she sees the peacock dress in a store window. Jeremy exits the store, saying it's his parents, then tries to hit her again badly, saying it was his destiny to get the meteor. Then Sam notices the thing on his arm, which now spread to his neck. He says it's nothing. Also, the meteor has an unknown metal on it, which has given him some strange power to see his dreams and his destinies. What the fuck? Sam gets away, and Randy is headbutted by a now super confident and egotistical Jeremy. So Sam goes to the shell of the burned-out church, where Pastor John tells her God will jumpstart her future, and then takes her to a cinema, where they sit in an empty cinema, as he explains he sits there to see God's plan that his plan is a bright guiding light. So she looks at hers and sees herself as a little girl in a dance trip from the original movie. So he subtly hits on her and just as Trudy walks in, she gives her a WWJD bracelet. That was what would Jesus do bracelet. Just like the one she had on earlier on in the movie. He hits on her harder this time, but she stops him and runs off. Where outside, Trudy questions him with her saying she had lost her bracelet and then goes on to say she believes him like nothing happened, that she made him do it. Okay, what love, you just saw him hit on her and try to feel her up and stuff like that, but yet she made him do it? Okay then. The camera pans up to the cinema's marquee sign, which is all backwards apart from the words now showing. Adult. The words on the thing are 12 monkeys and stranger days. So later that night, we see Iraqi Jack sitting on a hill overlooking the town, wearing his homemade bunny mask just staring into deep space. At the motel room, Sam falls asleep while reading Grandma Death's book. Dream Sam flashes in lightning to the cinema with its marquee now reading, 10 Sam gets keys in Save World, which I'm guessing is an anagram of 12 Monkeys and Stranger Days, then on the road out of the town and finally to the mine. The 3rd of July 1995, Sam awakens in Iraqi Jack's campsite just as he steals her book. Then he tells her he's Roberto Sparrow's grandson, and then begs her to show him how to travel in time and space. Okay then. I hope you're following this movie, Barry, because this thing took me forever to figure out what the fuck was going on. He then shows her his bunny helmet slash mask, which cuts into his face, so freaked out she runs off to the mine where she finds Trudy's missing bracelet, 
with a key on it which unlocks the main door. Going into the mine, she finds the bodies of the missing boys dead, and I called it. Pastor John and or her was in on a sting with the missing children all along. So going back to the diner, Sam gets a round of applause from everybody in the diner and a free meal. Randy joins her at her table and blames Iraqi Jack for all the murders. It is here she tells him her backstory about Donnie. In walks Iraqi Jack, again begging to be shown how to time travel as he's quickly arrested and taken away by Odell. When Sam protests Justin Sparrow's innocence, all she gets is a slap in the face from a pissed off Trudy as she storms off to her camper van. Back at the motel, Sam finds a peacock dress waiting for her, also Jeremy, as he hits on her yet a bloody again. Cut to a field where Jeremy has driven Sam, which she finds out is underneath or just below rather, Iraqi Jack's campsite, so Jeremy sets out a picnic for him to watch the 4th of July fireworks. Meanwhile, in space, a black hole slash wormhole appears as a badly done CG cube falls into it, falling to Earth. It turns out it's a tesseract. What is this thing? The Marvel Cinematic Universe all of a sudden? And suddenly, after showing Sam his rash, Jeremy lunges at her, forcing himself on her where she backs off, he shows her his true form, which is kind of like a very veiny alien with bright red glowing eyes, very Hulk-like. Hmm. He pushes her to her death as she hits her head on Iraqi Jack's bunny mask. In jail, Dream Sam teleports to break Iraqi Jack out and hands him a glowing peacock feather. Back at the motel, Randy shows up only to find Sam's room empty as the town is getting rained on by tesseracts, he somehow finds Jeremy's picnic spot. Hmm? Moving on. And by the way, the explosion behind Ed, Ed uh, Westwood uh, bursts his eardrum and almost deafened him. Anyway, he finds Sam's dead body, carries her away, just as Racket Jack shows up for his bunny mask. He puts on the mask, looks into space, and then time rewinds yet again to the 29th of June, 1985, to Iraqi Jack just sitting watching the meteor hit the wind tower as he smiles and dies. Cut to the morning as Iraqi Jack's body is getting taken away and the motel room wants to buy the meteorite. Sam decides to leave town, leaving Corey behind as she heads back home, which she fucking hates, so why the hell did she run away just to return back home? To Officer Odell finding the dog tags, the motel owner now owning the meteorite and the same rash has appeared on his arm. Then Trudy in an empty cinema watches her god's plansion of her sea. Finally, Billy is still locked in the mine, cut to Sam on a bus, heading home as credits roll. Okay, what a complete mess of a movie with plot strands hanging over a fucking place. This is a complete joke of a movie and a lame attempt of cash cowing. A franchise that went fucking nowhere. No explanation about anything like why the hell did Meteor give Randy and now the motel owner strange powers? How the hell did Justin Sparrow know about the bunny rabbits and other stuff? I mean, why was the kids kidnapped? Where they get murdered by Trudy and or Pastor John? Why was the town in a time loop constantly? I mean, what the fuck? This is a complete bug nuts mess of a fucking movie and should never have been made, even for its pitiful little $4 million budget. Nothing is improved from the original movie and in fact this movie is just a waste of an hour and 38 minutes. This thing is one tenth of Donnie Darko so I'm going to give this thing exactly 1 out of 10. Fucking god awful.
So, come back next week for my look at the cult movie, Eating Before Christmas. Then December is Festive Fights, where I look at Die Hard 1, Die Hard 2, Little Weapon 1 and Batman Returns. I may also sneak in a Christmas horror on Christmas Eve. Anyway, don't forget to follow me on Twitter at Here's Johnny's Pod, all lowercase, and email me movie suggestions or what you thought of my podcast too. Here's Johnny's Reviews at gmail.com, again, all lowercase. Follow me on SoundCloud, check out my other podcasts such as the Psycho, Omen, James Bond, Gremlins franchises, as well as my superhero ones such as Deadpool and Batman v Superman, plus dozens others. A goodbye. <laughs>